God's mercy. It endures forever. And, and by the way, uh, we are encouraged in the first three verses to give thanks to God, to give thanks to Him for His mercy. And has God been merciful to you? Yes. And so giving thanks for us who have received God's mercy, who, have, who are benefits of God's mercy, it ought to be a natural response in our lives. And so when we consider this uh, characteristic of, uh, of God's attributes, there's no, the, the, the most natural thing to do, in fact, we can't do otherwise than to bless God for it. Let's look at some of the things about His mercy. First of all, and these are not in any particular order, His mercy is great. 1 Kings 3, 6. Thank you, Phyllis. And in that verse in 1 Kings 3, 6, we see Solomon giving praise, giving thanks to God because of, he says, the great mercy that God had shown to his father David. But he also mentions in the same verse about him keeping his great kindness as well as to David. Similar, uh, similar thoughts there, but God's mercy is great. Another thing about God's mercy, there's plenty of it. Psalm 86, 5. Psalm 86, 5. Anybody got that one? So how much mercy does God have? He's got plenty. For all who call upon Him. His mercy is also tender. Luke 1, 78. God's tender mercy. I'm really glad for God's tender mercy tonight. Folks, God is so good. So we talk about being plenteous. Uh, another similar word, His mercy is abundant. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Amen. Peter's giving God praise. Uh, praise because of his abundant mercy. We are born again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, we are born again there because we all deserve it. No. The only reason we are there is because of God's abundant mercy. Peter realizes that and we need to realize that as well. Another thing about God's mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. Psalm 103, verse 17. Thank you, Dan. What does it mean it's from everlasting to everlasting? What's that mean? It never ends. Thank God for that. His mercy never, ever ends. No wonder the psalmist broke out in praise in Psalm 59, verse 16. Look what it says. Psalm 59, verse 16. So the psalmist said, I will sing of your power, and I will sing about your mercy. Why would the psalmist want to sing about God's mercy? Say it again. That's right. It's endless. He had experienced it, and he knew exactly how wonderful God's mercy is. Go to Exodus 33, verse 19. Look at what the Bible says about that. Now, again, um, 
we're looking here at God's mercy, and we're going to come to, I think, in, if we get that far tonight, we'll be in Romans in just a little while. Paul will quote from this verse, but notice the last part of that verse. God said, I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. So who makes that sovereign choice? God does, okay? And we'll talk a little bit more about that, hopefully, in a little while tonight. So we think about God's grace, we think about God's mercy, and, you know, what's the difference in the two? Uh, certainly very similar, but they are a little bit different. Uh, but remember that God's mercy uh, finds its source in the fact of God's divine goodness. Now think about that. Because God is good, that's the issue from which His mercy flows. And they, they have to be connected. The goodness of God causes Him to be merciful. And we have to realize when we think about uh, God's goodness, we have to understand that God is good to all creation. Wouldn't that be tr- Isn't that true? He's good to the unsaved as well, uh, and as well as the saved. Uh, so uh, the bottom line is he's good to everyone because he has given our being and our life and we have everything we have comes from God. What's also interesting uh, about God's mercy, and maybe we need to maybe ask a question about this. What would you say, why do we need God's mercy? Okay, we're all falling short. Do it again, say it again. Okay, we're sinful. Uh, certainly that's all part of it. I, don't, I want to try to illustrate it a little bit different, maybe. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of that great theologian, Jerry Clower. By the way, he was a Christian, a, dedic- a committed Christian, by the way. But I'll never forget the story he told about the coon hunting. Remember that? You ever heard of that one? And I forget what the guy's name was, you know, one of them Ledbetter guys up in that tree. And that coon had got a hold of him somehow or another. And he yelled down and he said, you know, they were they weren't going to shoot that coon, but they were afraid to hit the wrong person. And finally, that led better say, he said, shoot amongst us. One of them could have had some relief. Well, I use that to, in kind of a funny way, but God's mercy brings relief to our lives. We all need that in our lives because we are sinners, because we fall short, because everyone needs that relief from God. So mercy is God's relief of the misery that we come through because of our fallen nature. Now think about this for a minute. I'll make a statement and you clarify it here for me, okay, if I'm right or wrong. The only reason we have God's mercy is because we don't have any sin. That's exactly it. In spite of our sin. God provides us mercy anyway. So mercy presupposes our sin. Now, he doesn't condone it, not at all. But again, we're all fallen, we've all sinned, and mercy presupposes our sin. Now, keep in mind, when we think about God's mercy, and we try to make a difference between His grace and His mercy. One of the suggestions of the study God I have uh, says to consider how He deals with the angels who have not fallen, or we'll call them the good angels. Now, understand, He has never exercised mercy toward them because they never needed it. But, He has exercised grace to them. Now think about that. Let that sink in for a minute. They are certainly objects of God's grace, but they don't need God's mercy because they have not come under the effects of sin. Okay? Now, 
let's go to, let me make some, read some verses, then I'll explain what I just said. Uh, Daniel 7, verse 10. Somebody read that, please. Daniel 7, verse 10. Thank you for reading that. We have a picture of God on his throne. And Daniel says there was a fiery stream that came uh, from him. And he talks about a multitude who stood before him. And that multitude was probably angels. Why were they there? To who? Yeah. Ministers. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Angels don't need mercy because it didn't fall under the curse of sin. But I want to say to you, the fact that you're able to stand before God tells me they are recipients of God's grace. What a wonderful thing to be able to stand before God. And Phyllis, you talk about being a minister for Him. We'll read the Hebrews 1, 14 in a moment. But what a privilege it is to serve God in that way. And it's all by the grace of God. Don't miss that. Say it again. Exactly, to serve Him. And, that, and what a, a wonderful privilege to be able to stand like that and serve the God of the universe in the way the angels do. And that's only because of grace. Only because of grace. Go to Hebrews 1, verse 14. Now, the writer of Hebrews is making sure we have our perspective correct. Now, angels have a special place in heaven. But the point was, God, and for lack of a better way to explain it, when he be when he sent a Savior to our world, did he send one of the angels? No. Why? Can't take his place. It had to be the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the writer of Hebrews reminds us the angels, their main purpose is to serve the Lord, and God sends them to us to minister to us who are heirs of salvation. So when we talk about angels... Uh, being the object of God's grace, it's because of the exalted position that God has assigned to them. Now remember, anything God allows anybody to do is by God's what? By His grace. No one deserves it. And so God allows them, these angels, to serve Him continually in His heavenly realm and their whole purpose is to receive divine commissions from him. And God uses angels just that way. So it is abundant grace toward them, but it's not the same as mercy. God's grace is apparent toward them, but they don't need God's uh, mercy. Now, whenever we're looking at the mercy of God, I think the, the Scripture gives at least uh, three distinctions uh, if we're going to look at it in a right perspective. Uh, first of all, the Bible speaks about the general mercy of God. Now we have to understand that this general mercy of God is extended to all men, believers and unbelievers alike. But it's also extended to all creation. Psalm 145 verse 9. Somebody read that please. Okay, who's God good to? Who's His works uh, mercies over all creation? Okay, Psalm one. Uh, I'm sorry, Acts seventeen, verse twenty-five. Acts seventeen, verse twenty-five.
Paul was preaching on uh, Mars Hill at the Areopagus. Uh, they called him a seed picker. And he began to share to them about the unknown God. Everywhere he looked, there was all kind of gods. They were so superstitious. And in case they missed one, they had an idol set aside to the unknown God. And that's the God Paul preached to them. And he makes a statement there in verse 25 of Acts 17. What does God need? Nothing. He doesn't need anything. He is self-existent. And so Paul says he's the one who gives life to everyone. And he gives breath, if you will, and he gives all things. So we see God's general mercy over all mankind, over his creation. So God exercises, if you will, pity on all creation in their needs, and he supplies them with the provision that they need. Now, we have to understand that's because of God's general mercy. But then we have a special mercy of God. And I believe that this special mercy of God is exercised toward general, I mean, even, well, all people, helping them in spite of their sin. Matthew 5, 45. Anybody got that? Want to read it? Jesus said that you may be the children of your Father, which is in heaven, for he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain upon the just and on the unjust. So is God good to the unjust? Yes. He sends rain and sunshine on both. And it's a special mercy that God gives to mankind in spite of our sins. And I think it's the third distinction, and that's an eternal mercy reserved for those who are born again, who are heirs of salvation. Of course, this is communicated to us through Jesus Christ, our mediator. Now, just kind of, again, showing the difference between the special mercy of God to all people, the eternal mercy of God reserved for those who are born again, um, we have to understand, well, let me ask you a question. We know already from scriptures that God is generally good to be saved as well as the unsaved. But will God always be merciful to the sinner? No. That mercy is only temporary. It is only temporary. And to make it clear, any mercy they receive is only confined to this life. It's a temporal mercy. Because beyond the grave, those who are without Christ, there will be no mercy extended to them. Isaiah chapter 27, verse 11. What does that tell us? There's coming a time, and whatever Isaiah may be speaking about, what particular time, he's talking about a time for some people, God's mercy is only temporary. There will come a time when he will not have mercy on them. There will come a time when he will not show them any favor. It's a temporal kind of mercy. But for you and I who are born again, it's an eternal kind of mercy. Of mercy. Psalm again 136 1. We read it a moment ago. It says, Give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, his mercy endures forever. Now, that verse, people say, Well, now, wait a minute, you, you said it endures forever, and yet you read in Isaiah where God said it doesn't in some cases. Well, there's something we have to understand about God. Number one, God can never cease to be merciful. He cannot cease being merciful because mercy is a quality 
of God's divine essence. Again, let's read Psalm 116, verse 5. Okay. Now, so understand, graciousness, righteousness, and being merciful is the quality of God's divine nature. So he's always merciful. That's part of his nature. But the second point I want to make, how he exercised his mercy is regulated or controlled by his sovereign will. Now think about that. God's mercy is controlled by his sovereign will. Now let me kind of lay some groundwork here on that phrase. We read a moment ago from the book of Acts chapter 17, and Paul said he's not worshipped by hands because he doesn't need anything. Is that true? Yes, it's true. But we also have to understand this has to be true that God exercises his mercy according to his sovereignty because nothing outside of God makes him obligated to act. Let that sink in. Nothing outside of God makes him obligated to act. What does that mean? Any thought on that? Amen, man. That's a great point. Now, let's stop here for a minute. Uh, Do outside influences influence us? All the time. And not always for the better, right? A lot of times for the bad, for the worse. But nothing outside of God influences him. And that's important because if there would be something outside of God that would influence him, then God would no longer be supreme. Isn't that true? And one thing God is, is what? He's supreme. He is absolutely supreme. And if anything outside of God influenced him, he would cease to be God. So please understand, God is always merciful. That's part of his nature. He can't stop being merciful, but because of his sovereignty, he chooses to whom he's going to show mercy to or not show mercy to. So when we think about God's mercy, it is simply... God's sovereign grace alone, which determines the exercise, how he does it, who he does it for, the mercy of God. Go to Romans chapter 9, verse 15. Uh, Romans 9, verse 15. Thank you, uh, Phyllis. Now, we read a moment ago in Exodus. This is is where Paul was quoting. The Bible does say in Exodus, he spoke to Moses. He told Moses, I'm going to have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will show compassion on whom I choose to show compassion. Okay, now remember, God by nature is merciful. But in his sovereignty, he chooses when and where and to whom to show that mercy, to exercise that mercy. And Dan, I like how you said it a while ago. Nothing outside of God influences him. Isn't that right? Absolutely. God is supreme, and so nothing outside of God influences him. So, thinking about that, um, neither our goodness nor our wretchedness Causes God to show mercy. Let that sink in. His love does, but remember, he has a sovereign right to choose. Now, let's think about this. 
We've already said that nothing outside of God influences him. Suppose I'm thinking, you know what? The reason God is merciful to me because I have done this and done that and done that. And it can't work. Why? Because I can't, my goodness, can't influence God. Well, we don't have any goodness, that's true. But we try to think we do. But there again, if it were possible, and it's not, even our goodness cannot influence God because nothing outside of God influences Him. So on the other hand, we say, well, you know, I'm so bad, I'm so wretched, so that causes God to be merciful to me. No. Nothing outside of God influences His actions. Now keep in mind, we are influence but not God so again even the good things we do doesn't cause God to show mercy on us because it's really a contradiction in what the Bible teaches about our salvation Titus chapter 3 verse 5 somebody read that one please if you got it Again, Paul writing to a young preacher, Titus, and he reminds him that it's not because of what we have done. We haven't earned God's mercy. Uh, We haven't earned our salvation. It's only because God's mercy that we are saved. And whenever we think about works and mercy, they are complete opposites. They are totally contrasting one to another. And also understand... Uh, We know that Jesus Christ pleased the Father in all that he did. But the the bottom line is is this. God is not influenced by anyone or anything. And we read earlier in Acts 178, it's only because of God's tender mercy that he sent Christ to the world to save people. Because God is a God of tender mercy. Nothing outside of God influences him. So please understand that. Now what's interesting, because of what Christ did, it is now possible for God to righteously give special mercies to his children. What do you mean, preacher? Well, the bottom line is this. What Jesus Christ did on Calvary satisfied the justice of God. Somebody say amen. Folks, sin has to be punished. Sin demands judgment from God. And because of what Christ did on Calvary, because of that, God is able to give you and I his mercy. His, his justice was satisfied completely when Jesus Christ died on Calvary. How many are glad for that tonight? Amen. God is so So good. So when we think about mercy, mercy comes about only from God's imperial pleasure. That's the only way because God chooses to show mercy to us. So yes, the psalmist was not wrong. He was correctly, he was certainly right when he said that God's mercy endures forever. But we have to understand how the objects that God gives his mercy to. Now, (laughs) it's kind of hard to explain this, but I'm going to try my best. But we have to understand something. And we preached on this a little bit uh, Sunday night. But those who refuse uh, to come to Christ, those who continue to live in reprobate lifestyle, will one day be cast into the lake of fire. And we have to understand, from God's viewpoint, this would be an act of justice because it's a sign of God's honor. Now remember, God can't sin. 
Can God allow sin to go unpunished? No. And so even that is an act of God's honor. So please understand, that has to be the end of those who refuse Jesus Christ as their Savior. Because God's justice has to be honored. And it has to be that way. Second of all, from the sinner side, they don't want to admit this, they have to understand that that is certainly the reward of their iniquities. Now remember, why do people go to hell? Because of what? Because of their sin. Because of rejecting Jesus Christ. So again, we have to understand that. But when we talk about those who are born again, they're redeemed. It reminds us that God is fair. He is a God of justice. And he does what is right. Now, we preached a little bit on a Sunday night. But how many are glad in the new heaven there'll be no more sin? Amen. There'll be no more darkness. None of that. Now, I don't need to tell you how, how sinful our world is, and we're living in the midst of it. Wouldn't it be horrible to live in that condition for eternity, in the presence of sinners? And so for us, it is an act of unspeakable mercy. We don't have to live that way for eternity. Revelation 21, verse 27. Yes. Now, remember I told you, for the unsaved, mercy is only temporary. But for the redeemed, it's eternal. And we see God's mercy even in the heaven that God's going to create. And we think about, we talk a lot about God's love, God's mercy, God's goodness. He's all those things. But we have to understand there's a lot in the Scriptures that supports the fact that God is not going to allow the retrobate, the reprobate to get off without punishment. Now, certainly it's his desire they come to Christ. But whose choice is that? It's their choice. So let's take some scriptures <clears throat> tonight just to show you what the Bible says about the judgment of the wicked. Uh, Psalm 143, verse 12. What's David praying about it? What's he pray, asking God to do? To do what? Yeah. Now, this is called a precatory prayer. And we find throughout the Psalms. And David said, Lord, you know, out of your mercy, cut off my enemies. Destroy them that are causing me trouble. Psalm 136, verse 15. Now, we read from the early part of Psalm 136 earlier, and I told you every verse ends in that. But, Dan, you just read this, and the Bible says when Pharaoh was in the sea, God overthrew him. He, he destroyed him. But how does that verse end? His mercy endures forever. Even though I may not fully wrap my mind around that, that's connected, that even that has something to do about God's mercy. And certainly it was an act of vengeance upon Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. But it was an act of mercy for the Israelites. God's mercy endures forever. Revelation 19, first three verses. <clears throat>
what was going on here. It was being destroyed. I mean, it's an awful place. And, and by the way, we can read it in chapter 18 as well how there was, uh, there was sadness and they couldn't believe uh, what was going on here. But the bottom line was this. There's rejoicing in heaven because God had judged that evil. And folks, make sure that day is going to happen. But even that is part of the mercy of God toward his saints. So the Bible is clear that those who continue in their rebellion, those who refuse to come to Christ, would you agree there's going to come a day when God's mercy for them is going to run out? Yes. And by the way, whether you agree or not, that's what the Bible says. But the problem in our world today, and I'm sure it's been that way uh, from, a, from probably from almost the time Adam and Eve sinned. But have you noticed how presumptuous the men and women are in our world today? So what are they thinking? Yeah, he's not going to do it. Yeah, if they even yeah, believe in him, right? Well, he's not going to do that. And uh, so there are some who, in spite of their decision not to live for God, somehow they have convinced themselves that God will one day be merciful to them. But is that what the Bible teaches? No, absolutely not. Oh, that's true. Somebody said the other day there are no atheists in hell. I think there's a good point there. But here's the thing. There are many who convince themselves that they, they certainly don't believe that God would ever cast them into hell because God is way too merciful. Now remember, folks, we're living in a time when people go under feelings all the time. But you can feel that way all you want, but guess what? It's not true. We've got to base what we believe on some objective facts. And that is not true. And, and that hope that God is so merciful, He would never send me to hell, He would never cast me to hell, that hope is deadly. It's going to end up biting them, if you will, because the bottom line is just as God is a God of mercy, He's also a God of justice. And he cannot leave one for the other. And he told Moses, and he says it very clearly, I will by no means clear the guilty. Now think about that. Now we also have to understand, you know, God is God and there's none like him. We know that. But the bottom line is, and I don't know how he explained it any better, but if God wanted to, he can't. Because if he did, it would do away with God being just. Yes. Yes, indeed. Both work hand in hand. Psalm, I'm sorry, Exodus 34, verse 7. Uh, thank you, Dan. Now, again, God is speaking to Moses, and he says to him, Look, I, I prefer to have mercy for thousands. I want to forgive your sin and your iniquity, your transgression. I, I want to do all of that. But make no mistake about it, he says to Moses, I will never clear the guilty. I won't do that. God's nature will not let him. Psalm 9, verse 17. What's going to happen to the wicked? They're going to end up in a lake of fire. Yeah. God's mercy to the unsaved is only temporary in this world. Say it again. No, none at all. You can't run from the judgment of God. And that's why the Bible said today is the day of salvation. Call upon him while he is near. Call upon him while 
he may be found. Kind of interesting. We are blessed to live, number one, I think we're blessed to live in America. With all of our faults, we're still the greatest nation in the world. But how many are glad that we have pure drinking water to drink? How many are glad that we don't have to live with sewage running down the streets? How many are glad we don't have to have uh, stagnant water laying around all around us? Because the bottom line is this. Those who live in those kind of conditions, would you agree, in most cases, are going to end up sick? And we have to realize, if we neglect those things, we neglect the laws of health, we cannot expect God's mercy to save us from disease and sickness. But I want you to realize, if we neglect the laws of spiritual health before God, we cannot expect God to save us from the lake of fire. And there are so many in our world who I believe are abusing the mercy of God. They continue to despise God's authority. They neglect His laws. They continue in sin. And at the same time, doing all of that, they presume upon God's mercy. But we need to remember what we've already said several times. God cannot. And God will not be unjust to himself. He must judge the wicked. But make no mistake about it. God will always show mercy to those who repent. But he will not show mercy to those who refuse to repent. That is the God of the Bible. Luke 13, verse 3. Thank you, Wayne. Two different things that happened. Jesus refers to them in this text. One, there were some worshiping going on at the temple and uh, Pilate came in and killed some worshipers. And another time, the tower at Siloam fell and killed a bunch of Jews. And like a lot of us, we think, man, they must have been pretty bad for that to happen. What did Jesus say? Except you repent, you will all perish. So please understand, so important. So those who continue to sin, and to continue to count upon divine mercy, holding back punishment, they are kidding themselves. They're deceiving themselves. It's like saying, let us do evil so good can come. Let's read Romans 3.8. Thank you, Phyllis. Because Paul is writing a letter to the church at Rome. And evidently, according to what Paul wrote here, there were some who were slandering him. They were telling that Paul preaches, go ahead and do evil so good can come. Now, you know the Apostle Paul from his writings. And we know Paul would never preach that. But he did preach grace. He did preach mercy. He preached the gospel. And some had abused what he said. And they're saying, Paul says, live how you want. 
be as bad as you want, so good can come. And Paul's answer to those who believe that is damnation. Those who believe that you can live how you want to, those who believe you'll be recipients of God's mercy and still live wicked lives, Paul says you are going to receive damage from God and it is your just reward. Now, make sure we understand this principle. Anytime anyone, including Christians, presume upon God, you're going to be disappointed. Isn't that true? And especially those who are unsaved who have convinced themselves, I can do evil and because God is merciful. He will let me get by with it. Deuteronomy 29, look at verses 18 through 20. Phyllis, thank you for reading that, but wish you hadn't. <laughs> that's, not, that's not easy to swallow, is it? But God is saying it very clear. There's going to come a time. There's going to come a time, even when people read God's Word, and they hear what God says, in this case to the Jews about the curse, if they disobey God, God says there's going to come a time, they're going to convince themselves in their heart, and I don't know how many times I've heard people, well, I know what the Bible says, but... I know what God says about it, but, uh, and, and God says here, they're going to kind of continue to bless himself in their heart, and they're saying they're going to convince themselves that no matter how I live, I'm going to have peace. I'm going to get by with it. But what did God say? No, you're not. No, you're not. We know the time of Moses in the Old Testament, there was a mercy seat in the tabernacle. But I want you to realize, folks, Jesus Christ is now our spiritual mercy seat. And anyone who despises and rejects his lordship, they are going to perish. Psalm 2, verse 12. Thank you, Dan. Now, I realize we're talking about poetic language here in Psalms. And the psalmist said to kiss the sun. What does that mean, you think? The S-O-N, not the S-U-N. See what now? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But now we're to kiss the sun. We're to fall in love with Jesus. And when you fall in love with Jesus, you obey his commands and his precepts. If you fall in love with Jesus, we will never perish. But those who refuse will indeed perish. One final thought, Psalm 57, verse 10. I'm very glad for that. God's mercy is great. It reaches to the heavens and its truth goes beyond the clouds.
And when I think of God's mercy, His riches transcend our highest thought. We can't measure it. And God's children, you and I, God calls us vessels of mercy. It's mercy that gave us life when we're dead in our sins. It's mercy that saves us. It's God's mercy that causes us to be born again into an internal inheritance. Peter said that. And there's so much more about God's mercy being preserving, God's mercy being sustaining, God's mercy being pardoning, but it's all unto his own. He is the Father of mercies. How many are glad that he is tonight? Amen.